Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Kambala Voice, an ongoing series of rich conversations with Kambala's extended community of thinkers. I'm Jane Danvers, Principal of Kambala, and it's great to have your company and attention. In this season of episodes, we'll be joined by a selection of individuals who are advocates for the International Baccalaureate Diploma Program, known to most of us as the IB. It's an alternative pathway to the New South Wales Highest School Certificate and a vital part of Kambala's school life. In this episode, I want to share my knowledge of the history of the IB, both globally and within Kambala. In doing so, I'm hopeful that students approaching their final years of school and their families will better understand what the IB has to offer. The International Baccalaureate was the brainchild of progressive 20th century educators in Europe who were passionate about the notion of an international education. Their vision was to foster a powerful sense of global citizenship within a compassionate and culturally diverse environment. Over time, this groundswell of interest and activity culminated in the development of the IB Diploma. I've asked Philip Bird, who leads Kambala's IB cohort and their educators, to share his understanding of the origin and evolution of the IB and why it might be a perfect fit for some Kambala students. The International Baccalaureate grew out of a group of globally mobile families in the early 1960s, and they were concerned about education systems, moving families, how to have a qualification that was transferable or recognised. And in 1968, they came up with this model developed out of the International School of Atlanta in the United States. So now we have a qualification that is international and with the baccalaureate, it means that it's a rigorous and recognised qualification. And at Kambala, we are fortunate to have many experienced IB educators, myself among them. As a young English teacher, I was so excited to be invited to teach higher level IB, and it was one of the first times that I was able to teach texts in translation. My love of Camus and Zola and so many authors started at this time, and I was fascinated by the global understanding that my students built in this program. The IB team leads our Year 11 and Year 12 candidates through a two-year pathway to matriculation. As well as managing the delivery of Kambala's course offerings, Philip Bird also brings with him a wealth of international expertise in IB World Schools. I first was introduced to the IB in the Taipei European School in Taiwan as an EAL specialist, and that meant supporting the students who were taking English as their second language. And that's where I first became intrigued by the IB pathway. And an opportunity came up at a German international school in Erlangen, in Nuremberg in Bavaria. And that was as the head of English in an IB-only school. But after two years, I was able to take on the position of the diploma program coordinator at the school. So I soon became familiar with its implementation, staffing, pedagogy, the whole thing. I luckily had the opportunity there to become a Council of International Schools visitor, which meant that I was part of a team that went to other international schools in Europe to live and work in a school for a week and help that school build and reflect on their implementation of the IB program. And Carolyn Gedling, our Deputy Principal Academic, 
has similarly worked with the IB curriculum and delivery of the IB diploma program all over the world. I first saw the IB in action at the United Nations School in Hanoi. And several years later, I worked at the Yokohama International School in Japan. And that was my first experience of teaching the IB. And I taught history and economics. From there, I thought that I needed to shake things up a little bit. And so I worked in Khartoum for three years in Sudan, which was probably my most remarkable experience. I then moved to southern Germany and as a history teacher to be in Nuremberg was a fantastic experience. Kambala embraced the IB Diploma Program for students in years 11 and 12 over 10 years ago and the program has flourished in more recent years. I think it's a great program. So it has grown and I think it's also become more inclusive. And students who pursue the IB pathway bring with them a raft of personal ambitions and aspirations for their future tertiary education. Their hopes and dreams are well supported by Carolyn's professional history with the delivery of the IB Diploma Program as it ensures that Kambala maintains an internationally minded and comprehensive focus. This is reflected in the Kambala IB course offering and the specialised support that each student receives. Students need to do subjects from six different areas. On offer, we have over 20 subjects. So it's quite broad. Having said that, I would love to introduce a couple of other subjects. I think the IB needs to be adaptive and we can be more so. You're listening to The Kambala Voice and the first in a series of episodes about the IB Diploma Program offered by our school. I'm Jane Danvers, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the conversation. When Year 10 students are invited to make their decision about which pathway to choose for their final two years of secondary school, the challenge can seem daunting. In this series of podcasts about the IB, I'm delighted to be joined by several recent graduates, as well as current students. Each of our guests has been generous in offering to share the details of their insights and experiences, the first of whom is Lily Taka. I was part of the cohort of 2022, and I joined Kambala in 2014, halfway through year four. So I moved here from America. I lived in Las Vegas. And when my dad got a job at Offer in Australia, we moved after a few months of him working here. And then I just hopped right into the Kambala lifestyle and then never left until I graduated. Lily is someone who could be described as globally minded, who spent the formative years of her education in another country. In her case, the IB felt as though it was a perfect fit. I appreciate how well-rounded the program is. Of course, you have to take a class from each of the six groups. I guess coming as an outsider into Australia, the IB I felt just made intuitive sense to me because you take your exams, you do your assignments, and those are the marks that you get at the end of the program. It seems that for Lily, the exciting possibility of undertaking the IB diploma program had been in her mind from the time that she joined the junior school. I have a very vivid memory of another girl in the year and I being in year six and going to a year 10 talk about the IB because we thought it was open for everyone, but it was really directed towards year 10s. But we both knew already that we wanted to do the IB. When I got to year 10, I was really sure of my decision. As early as year six, 
Lily had identified the IB for her needs because it built a bridge between her previous educational experiences in America and her new life in Sydney. And in Lily's case, the IB program did turn out to be the perfect fit, which resulted in younger students in the school seeking her out to ask questions about what they might expect if they chose the IB pathway. I don't know if I just have a reputation of being an IB poster child because I've had a lot of girls asking questions about the IB and why I picked it before I graduated. And I think a lot of the questions that I do see come up are, do you think the workload is more difficult than the HSC? Do you think that it will improve my university opportunities? Do you think the assignments are more difficult? Do you think the tests are more difficult? I don't think those are bad questions to ask, but I don't think that's necessarily how you should be differentiating between the HSC and the IB. I think both programs are difficult. When you go into your 11 and 12, there's always going to be an expectation that the workload is more difficult. And I think the assessment style dissuades a lot of people from picking the IB. They don't want to do the IB because they've heard that it's the harder course. One of the main things that is the difference between the two programs is discipline because IB is really a self-directed course. Of course, you have your teachers there to support you, and they really are a fantastic support system. But it really is on you and your own merit of keeping on top of all your assignments and making sure that you are putting in the work that you need to be putting in to get your marks, because it's not going to be the teachers holding your hand for everything. And I'm not saying that's what happens in HSC either. In terms of the support that you get from your teachers, I think HSC mimics the high school experience you might have had so far, whereas IB serves as a really beneficial transitional period between high school life and college expectations. Lily points out that the IB Diploma Pathway is an academically rigorous program that encourages the student to be proactive and self-directed. She also assures me that IB students at Kambala are well supported by their teachers and the IB's assessment processes. And in Lily's view, a distinctive aspect of the IB Pathway is that each candidate is challenged to function as a mature and independent learner. I'm Jane Danvers, Principal of Kambala, and I hope you're enjoying the conversation as much as I am. Current Year 12 student, Amber Hoddle, is also from what we might call a globally mobile family. I am in Year 12 now at Kambala. I started here in, I actually think I started at Hampshire House, and then went from prep to Year 3. From the summer to year three to year four, my dad got a job offer in Chicago. So we decided to take a chance and he moved the whole family to Chicago where we lived for eight years. At the end of those eight years, my dad got another job offer back in Australia. So we decided it'd probably be better before I got into those final two years where you'd have to start getting on top of things to move now rather than later. And so we decided to move back. I went back to Kambala. My younger brother went back to Scotts. And I jumped up half a year and started in year 11 at the IB at Kambala. As was the case with former student Lily Tucker, the IB diploma as a system makes intuitive sense for Amber's final years. In part, this is because the approach taken is closely aligned with her previous educational experience in an excellent American school a school which mandated an all-round education with subjects chosen from every discipline. I didn't really understand the weight of the decision that I was taking. 
I had a college advisor who was sort of helping me through the whole thing. I had no idea about either courses. I had never heard of either of them. I read some articles about both, and I read the course guides, and I also very much enjoyed the courses that the IB offered. They offered psychology, which is what I was planning on doing in university, and so I was excited to be able to get a jump start on that. And I also already had to do a language in America for those eight years, so I felt prepared for that side of the IB. So I really liked how you were required to do something from every subject, because that was already what the American education system was like. You were usually required to do a music or an art, and then you were required to do a science and a math. So it just made more sense for me. Overall, it's more similar to the American system in that you need to have that range of subjects across the sciences, the math, the English. I liked that it brought all those subjects together like it had done in my education in America. An IB diploma candidate's final mark is assessed without reference to any other student's performance or achievement. There is no advantage or disadvantage to be gained because of the performance of their school cohort. There is also no requirement to rank student performance within a cohort. A significant factor influencing the decision to choose the IB pathway, reported by both local and international students, is because the raw mark achieved by an IB candidate is entirely their own. I didn't feel like I wanted my scores to be scaled based on how other people did in my grade or in my class. I felt like I wanted to be in charge of that independently. Even though there is now an ATAR conversion process that is used by tertiary institutions to determine admissions to specific courses, it is based entirely on an individual's raw mark. Many students who gravitate towards the IB are academic all-rounders. They enjoy every subject that they are studying. In the final stage of Year 10, some students are not quite ready to give up on a broad range of subjects. Others know exactly what they want to pursue. The wisdom underlying the IB's requirements for students to choose a subject from every subject group might give candidates greater scope when they apply to tertiary education institutions. It could be the case that some universities in Australia and overseas insist on specific subjects regardless of a student's final marks. The IB Diploma requires each candidate to study mathematics, science and a foreign language. English in Australian IB schools is mandatory. Additionally, candidates must enrol in one humanities subject such as history, economics or global politics. And of course, a student must also engage with an arts subject such as music or visual art. There is also flexibility for students to pursue studies in three languages in lieu of an art subject, or for students to pursue two STEM or two humanities subjects in lieu of an art subject. Kambala offers 20 IB diploma courses at higher and standard levels so that students can choose a selection of subjects that are suited to their interests and strengths. Annabelle Zayner, from the cohort of 2022, was born and raised in Australia. She undertook her formative and secondary education in Sydney, but has a lived experience of being a dual citizen. I was born and raised in Sydney. I've always lived here, but I'm a dual US and Australian citizen. Both my parents were born in the States. My mum moved here when she was pregnant with me, but my dad 
moved to Australia when he was three. My dad's extended family, they're in Maryland and upstate New York. My mum's family is all in Maine, which is the northeasternmost state. They live in a small country town right on the border of Canada. We always tried to go and visit mum's family in the US at least once a year. Annabelle's life experiences with a globally mobile family have made her internationally minded in both her aspirations and decisions. Having grown up in Australia, she naturally gravitated towards the possibility of pursuing tertiary education in America or Canada. After IB results came out, I was accepted into McGill University, which is in Montreal. And in Canada, I'm going to be studying a Bachelor of Arts, hopefully majoring in political science. Many students at Kambala consider tertiary study overseas, so I wanted Annabelle to share with our extended community her specific experience of applying to universities overseas. For me, with McGill, the application process was super easy, quite similar to here in Australia, which was great. I just sent them my final IB results and they knew what it was and they knew how to receive it and I got my offer. It's evident that Annabelle's IB results were easily understood in both America and Canada. And it's also interesting to note that universities overseas are interested in the whole girl, not just academic results. Arguably, this is also a factor in local admissions, as we see many Australian tertiary institutions offering early entry and basing their decisions on so much more than Year 12 academic results. I will say with the US that the US bases it on a lot more than academics, like that's kind of just the baseline of it all. Annabelle's endorsement of the IB encouraged me to ask her to offer her perspective of the program's greatest strengths to current and future Year 10 students thinking about which pathway to take. The IB was definitely a very collaborative rather than competitive experience for me and I know in my cohort definitely we all kind of felt that way. It's still obviously very academically rigorous and challenging but I found that the collaboration was so helpful because the idea behind the IB is that hypothetically everyone in your cohort could get 45. So I think the idea that you're striving for that seven in a subject but you're not competing with your classmates to get that seven, it really forced me to actually look at the feedback I was getting. As an educator, I was fascinated to hear Annabelle speak about how the IB brought out the best in her by making her focus on her teacher's feedback rather than just marks. I think in year seven to 10, I was someone who was very much focused on the grades that I was getting. Like, oh, I got 85% in this. I need to do better next time, but not really understanding what that meant. Whereas I think the IB very much made me focused on like the actual feedback that I was getting on my work as opposed to the grades I was getting. Now I know that I need to add more analysis in my paragraph about this or I should link it to this idea. Stuff like that really pushed me to actually improve the quality of my work and it wasn't so much about well if I put in more time studying I'll do better in this. It was more about what can I actually change about the way that I'm answering these questions. I also wondered how the absence of competition impacted her academic outcomes. I learned how to write in a way that I hadn't really thought about my writing before and I think I learnt how to deal with pressure. 
I learned how to have big assignments and get them done by the deadline to a quality that I was proud of. I think that the IB was super collaborative with my classmates. The IB really enabled me to form stronger connections with my peers. And if someone was away from school, no one would have any problem with sharing their notes from class that day. There was no ego. We were all very eager to see what each other was doing. I took the opportunity to ask Annabelle to tell me what she would say to a Year 10 student seeking her advice about choosing the most appropriate pathway for Years 11 and 12. First thing I would tell Year 10s is that if you're someone who isn't sure or you aren't ready to let go of anything, then definitely consider the IB. We were actually told something really interesting in Year 10, which was that no matter what, Year 11 and 12 is going to be hard work. If you want to do well, you have to put in the effort and see it through to the end. It's really lucky to be at a school like Kambala where you actually have the option of both. I didn't feel any pressure from the school to choose one way or the other, which I'm really grateful for. I got to really make my own informed decision and work out what I wanted to gain from Year 11 and 12. And it just so happened that the IB I thought was right for me and I think I still think that that was the right choice for me. You've been listening to the latest edition of the Kambala Voice. In this series, we're seeking to unpack the less familiar IB program as a pathway for our whole school community, so that Year 10 students and their families can make an informed choice about what is the best fit for them in Years 11 and 12. I'm Jane Danvers, Principal of Kambala, and I hope you're enjoying the conversation as much as I am. In this podcast, you heard from several Kambala students, past and present. You heard the voices of Lily Tucker, Annabelle Zayner, and Amber Hoddle. You've also heard from several of our leading IB educators, Philip Bird and Carolyn Gedling. I'm Jane Danvers, Principal of Kambala and host of the Kambala Voice. The next podcast will focus attention on the English literature course and studies of international and classical languages. I'm looking forward to our next conversation and I hope you are too. Join us then.